Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. From KQED. I would get so stressed out and I'd have like panic attacks all the time. And my panic attacks were like just me like kind of hyperventilating and crying. That was like a bi-weekly occurrence probably. There's just always kind of an underlying like throughout the entire day you're going to get misgendered. Oh boy. So much fun. That's a huge factor of my daily anxieties. Like am I passing? The answer is usually no. You are in this hole that you're trying to climb out of it, but it's like at the same time you want somebody to help you grab your hand and climb out of it, but at the same time it's so hard to give your hand to somebody. High school students talking about coping with anxiety. It's a problem a lot of students here in California grapple with. And as kids are heading back to school this fall, we're devoting our whole show to talking about young people and anxiety. I'm Sasha Coca, and this is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Today, we're collaborating with MindShift, a podcast produced here at KQED, home of the California Report. MindShift explores the future of learning and how we raise our kids. And it's co-hosted by Ki Sung and Katrina Schwartz, who introduce listeners to teachers, researchers, parents, and students who are all developing effective ways to improve how kids learn. And today, Katrina's here to tell us about what she's found out trying to understand anxiety for the latest podcast season of MindShift and to play us some excerpts. Hi, Katrina. Hi, Sasha. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for being on the show. So why did you guys decide to focus on anxiety? Well, this season we actually asked our audience what they were interested in and what mattered most to them. And anxiety kept coming up over and over. I mean, teachers and parents are genuinely confused about why so many kids are struggling with anxiety and they want some tips for how to deal with it. And, you know, it seems like the problem is growing. We have this one statistic from the National Institutes of Health that says that over a third of teens have been or will be affected by serious anxiety in their lifetimes. And then more recently, there are numbers on depression, lack of sleep, and loneliness that are all spiking. You know, I'm married to someone who's a teacher who comes home all the time with stories about how anxious high school kids seem to be these days about everything. Do we know just why anxiety seems to be such a problem for kids? 
You know, it's really hard to say. I mean, adults love to blame it on social media, and I'm sure that that does play a role. But it's worth noting that there's all kinds of reasons that kids experience anxiety, no matter what socioeconomic situation they come from. So whether it's violence in the home or struggling to have enough food to eat or AP tests or stress about college applications. Yeah, totally. And one thing that we do know is that anxiety is more debilitating than just plain old stress. It's actually a condition that can get in the way of relationships and stuff like work and school. I wanted to know what this type of anxiety actually feels like. How do kids get through the day with it? And when they're in crisis, what do schools do? Everything kind of started with the depression and anxiety after the passing of my grandfather. He was like that um, safe space for me. And so losing that was really big. I met Brianna Cedillo through her journalism class at El Cerrito High School, about 20 minutes outside of San Francisco. She pitched my radio station, KQED, a story about anxiety, so I asked if she wanted to collaborate. She's a senior with beautiful green eyes that glitter when she talks about her grandfather. Two years ago, she never would have imagined talking to a stranger about something so personal. But she's been seeing a school counselor and told me she's trying to be more open with people. I wake up in the morning and I don't feel anything. She's 18 years old, and she's grappled with anxiety and depression since middle school. But she didn't know what to call it then. I asked her to describe how it felt at the time, in her body, as if it were happening today. I'm not hungry. I'm not excited. I'm not happy. I'm not sad. I'm just, I'm numb. Um, I go to school and put on a smile for people, pretend that I care, take the work, I don't do the work because I don't care. I go home. I'll be on my phone. I'll do anything but do what I'm supposed to. She lost a lot of weight and withdrew from her family. She was surprised that no one seemed to notice, or if they did, they let it go when she said she was just tired. Brianna lives with her mom grandma, great-grandmother, and little brother. There are a lot of people in her house, but only her little brother seemed to notice her sadness, and Brianna wanted to protect him from it. She says she thought about suicide. I didn't see myself living past my sophomore year or walking across the stage for graduation. So I kind of just, I was like, well, I'm not going to make it that far, so I might as well not even try. By that time, the depression had gotten so bad, Brianna hardly recognized herself. Middle school had been rough socially, but she'd always kept her grades up, making the honor roll three times. Halfway through high school, she was barely passing. It wasn't who I was, and I knew it, but I didn't have the energy to fix it. But even though Brianna couldn't muster up any enthusiasm for life, she was simultaneously hyper-aware of what people thought about her. This is super common, by the way. Depression and anxiety often go together. Brianna was anxious about how she looked and behaved at school. But her anxiety was at its worst when she thought about her sliding grades and disappointing her mom. I wake up in the morning. I'm 
thinking, what am I gonna wear? What am I gonna wear? What am I gonna wear? People are gonna see me in this. What am I gonna wear? Um, I eat some type of, like, I don't know, piece of toast, waffle, get in the car. Again, I'm checking myself in the mirror every 10 minutes just to make sure that I look decent enough to be around people. Um, I get to school, go through my classes. I don't answer questions that I know because people will stare and I don't like when people stare. Um, and then I get home and it's like there's just something that goes off and the anxiety kind of kicks in. Everything that I did that day, the way I pronounced something, the way I did something, the way I walked. Brianna somehow managed to keep all those feelings under control until she got home, where she felt safe. By then, everything she'd been bottling up all day came spilling out. And then I started thinking about my mom. My mom needs, like, she needs better, and I should be doing this, and I'm not doing it. And then I start to panic, and then it's like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm going to disappoint my mom, and then and then I can't breathe, and then I get shaky. And I, and I end up, like, on a, in a ball on the floor, um, just trying to get my breathing back on track. It made me ache to think of Brianna feeling so fragile, fighting to hold herself together so no one would see her pain, so no one would be burdened by her emotions. Four generations living in her house, but she was good at hiding. And she would have kept on like that, except something really scary happened. There was a shooting right outside Brianna's house. It was like in my front yard. <laughs> yeah, it was horrible. She was terrified. But looking back, she thinks there was a hidden silver lining. I realized that I wanted to be alive. The next day, Brianna went to school as usual. Her first class was biology with Miss Burks. She doesn't remember what they were studying that day because for the first time, Brianna cracked at school. I ended up having a, a panic attack and the teacher in that class brought me here. And that's how I got help. The teacher brought her to the James Morehouse Project, the school's wellness center. I wasn't necessarily looking for any help. I wasn't even sure that I'd come back. Brianna is lucky her school has a place like the James Morehouse Project. It's named after a now-retired staff member who prioritized deep relationships with kids. And so then when you had the panic attack in class and your teacher brought you here, had you like known about the center or like ever thought of coming here before? Oh yeah, I, I knew about it, but I had never like wanted the help, so I didn't come. In California, the average school has one counselor for 700 students. But the James Morehouse Project offers almost a third of the student population some type of counseling each year. That's because it runs a large internship program for social workers. All those extra adults make a big difference. I'm very, like, grateful for the moment, I guess. I mean, it was horrible, but then, like, that's also the moment that saved my life. Kids at El Cerrito High are dealing with a lot. There's trauma and stress from growing up in poor and violent neighborhoods, fear about what's happening in the immigration system, and all the normal family stuff and social drama that all kids deal with. 
Can I get a visitor pass? I'm going to visit the James Moore House Center. It's mid-morning on a Thursday at El Cerrito High. Um, I'll just follow you. It's the time when the James Morehouse Project Anxiety Group meets in the Annex, a small room with a table and a whiteboard. The walls are covered with inspirational quotes and brainstorms left over from other groups. There are some snacks for munching, popcorn and water. So now we're going to move off a little bit of the writing that we did last week. Um, Students are allowed out of class for groups like these, but not too often. They're scattered around a worn table... Some nervously toy with papers in front of them. Others stare straight down when they're asked to talk. Um, And as we've talked about today, we're moving more into sort of coping skills and responses to anxiety. One student, Danny, reads what they wrote about recognizing their anxiety. I feel fight or flight instincts, shaky hands or a tight chest. I can tell it's coming by the way it sounds like a ticking clock and feels like suffocation. The two social work interns who run this group Rachel Kropaniski and Forrest Novak are teaching students to recognize the signs of anxiety and send them back to class with skills to cope. It uses words like failure, disappointment, and not enough. Um, The social workers started this group because they noticed many students felt alone in their anxiety. I mean, it's isolating to be anxious. Nina Kaiser, an independent therapist who works with a lot of anxious kids, says it's common for kids to feel like they're the only ones struggling. Roughly 30% of teenagers are having a really significant experience with anxiety, right? So people who are struggling are not alone in that, but often can really feel that way. But I've got good news for you. She says psychologists have a pretty good idea of how to treat anxiety. That's why she likes working with anxious kids. You can see huge changes in functioning that are really rewarding as a professional. So we're going to break it down for you. Anxiety affects how your body feels as well as your thoughts. Therapy can be very effective at treating both your thinking patterns and the reactions they produce. So your brain is constantly scanning your environment looking for danger. It's true for all of us, right? Every single one of us. Um, but when you are experiencing anxiety, that part of your brain, it's, it's almost like an alarm or a smoke detector, right? That goes off more frequently. And when your brain senses danger, it triggers the fight or flight response. All of us have smoke detectors at home, right? Sometimes they go off when there's a fire. Sometimes they go off when you're cooking hamburgers, right? And so if you're having anxiety, it's, it's like that part of your brain is, is um, you're getting a lot of false alarms. In the El Cerrito Anxiety Group, the social workers want students to recognize when they're getting a false alarm so they can tell themselves a different story. Here's Danny again, this time sharing how they can view their anxiety differently. When anxiety uses words like not enough or they hate you, I replace those words with helpful and remind myself that I'm worthwhile and productive. Even though anxiety tells me I'm useless and lazy, I know that I'm really focused and artistic. I hear some common themes from the anxiety group students. Overthinking, negative thoughts, fear of judgment, difficulty getting through simple tasks. What do you wish your parents or teachers knew about anxiety? And what do you want them to know about supporting you when you feel anxious? Even if you're, like, doing the bare minimum in class and you're, like, barely passing, like, a lot of people with anxiety are still working really hard just doing one little assignment can be really hard. It's not something you can really grow out of because it's always going to be there. Pronouns, it would be nice if they asked because 
I'm always too scared to go up to the teacher and talk to them about it or say it out loud in class. This is the California Report magazine, and today we're talking about the anxiety that many students grapple with. We're collaborating with the MindShift podcast, which is a production of KQED, also home to the California Report. And today we're featuring excerpts from the MindShift episode about anxiety. I'm here with MindShift co-host and co-producer Katrina Schwartz. Katrina, this high school that you guys visited, El Cerrito High, it sounds like they actually do have a lot of resources to help students with anxiety. Yeah, I mean, they have this center called the James Morehouse Project. It's their wellness center. And they've been trying to look at the problem holistically and support students with all kinds of problems. And one way they're able to do that is that they host a clinical social work internship program, which gives them a lot more adults in the building to kind of be doing therapy, to be running groups. So what are some specific things they're doing to help kids with anxiety? Well, there's some big macro things, stuff like giving kids more time between classes so that's a little bit less frenetic, or changing up the way the schedule works so that kids are on a block schedule. They only have four classes instead of seven. But then at a more specific level, they're doing things like running these anxiety groups where they're giving students specific strategies to cope with their own anxiety. Is mindfulness part of that? I know that's a big push now in schools these days. Yeah, totally. I mean, with anxiety, there's this body bodily response, this physical response, um, and then there's what's going on in your head. So the mindfulness stuff really helps ground students, get them to calm down, so that then they can kind of challenge their thoughts. And many students describe it as overthinking or negative thinking. And the social workers are trying to get them to learn to tell themselves a different story about what's going on. So one of the students you met in this anxiety group was Josh Rosario. Tell us about Josh. Well, Josh is a really sweet kid, but he's the kind of person that it would be easy for like overburdened, stressed out teachers to miss because he's kind of quiet and he really wanted to solve his anxiety issues on his own. But, you know, he did need some help. I was feeling mad at myself. So I was feeling sad about myself. So I was just questioning things. I was just talking to myself, I was out of my mind. I had planned to meet Josh Rosario at school to talk about his anxiety, but on the day of our interview, he changed the location to his house. He'd stayed home from school that day because of a big panic attack just two days before. The panic attack was still very present in Josh's mind, but I didn't quite realize that's why he seemed so anxious as he showed me around his clean two-story duplex. Upstairs is my room and my parents' room. Josh started off as a bit of a puzzle to me. When I met him in the El Cerrito High anxiety group, he was shy and had trouble expressing himself. He was the last person I thought would want to be part of this story. I also didn't peg him as a fan of the rapper Eminem. And I bought a poster and... I'm a huge fan. What do you like so much about him? I, I've understand him in a way to where I connect to him really mm. well. Mm. And I can understand his issues and stuff he goes through and a lot. And, um, and it really have, gives me this deep connection towards his music. Josh's connection to Eminem runs deep. 
The rapper even has an album called Recovery. Even now, standing in his bedroom, I can tell Josh is anxious. He looks uncomfortable, and he's got his hands jammed down in his pockets. He's anxious a lot, but he also really wants to understand why he feels this way. He keeps talking about this big, scary panic attack just two days before. It all started, as it frequently does, with his schoolwork. It was like around 4 o'clock in the evening. Uh, I planned to do my homework and put on some music, try to focus on my homework. But I don't do much of it. I'm on my phone, looking through social media and such. And every minute he messes around adds to his building anxiety, paralyzing him. I know breathing helps a lot, so I'm trying to calm and breathe. Josh is angry at himself. It's not that he has too much homework, it's just that he can't make himself do it. And the harder he tries, the more worked up he gets. I'm trying to relax and trying to focus on trying to at least finish one one simple thing on my homework, one simple thing. Like, I can like, write one sentence. And it's that hard to even like focus and write one sentence. An hour passes. The anxiety is growing. It was oh, everything flooding in, waves, waves, growing bigger. It was getting pretty bad. It's getting so bad, he's losing control. He can't calm himself down. As it grew bigger, I was hyperventilating. I was a bit sweating. I was losing my mind. I couldn't help thinking that if I was in this situation, the first person I'd tell is my mom. But Josh was hesitant to do that. He was afraid of her reaction. I was a bit mad at my mom because she didn't understand. She thinks that it was because of the stress and how I procrastinate and how I'm irresponsible in a way. Josh's relationship with his mom has been tense. She thinks that I have it easy, that I shouldn't be worrying about school so much because I only have three classes. I only go to boxing. I don't do a lot of stuff. She thinks that it's easy for me. Listening to Josh, I felt like I was there with him. And as terrifying as the actual panic attack sounded, what hit me more is how much he desperately wants to believe he can handle this on his own. I find ways to cope. I find ways to manage and control it. His go-to strategies are deep breathing, listening to music, and making himself some tea. He wants to believe he's in charge of his anxiety. But this attack shook that belief. I never really got into the point where it's that bad. So bad that he finally did tell his mom and went to the doctor for medication. He takes a generic of Xanax now when the panic attacks get bad. He says he's still figuring out when to take the pills. And the few times he's tried, they made him sleepy. As I'm thinking back on Josh and Brianna's stories, there are some striking similarities. Both of them describe their anxiety as overthinking. They both feel like they're letting their parents down, but they don't ask for help because they don't want to be a burden. I asked psychologist Nina Kaiser how she gets students to stop spinning out, obsessing about what just happened or what might happen in the future. It's basically like junk mail or spam, right, in terms of like your thinking patterns. And so like going into it with that mindset, like my job is to figure out, is this spam or is this an accurate message? What evidence can I look for? You have to kind of outthink your thoughts. 
find examples when that negative thinking wasn't true. But that's way easier said than done. That takes an immense amount of practice. Um, Those thoughts tend to be really powerful and really automatic, the anxious thoughts, right? So they're coming into your mind like really quickly, really loudly. Um, And it's challenging to step back and notice that there are other ways to think about the situation. So, Katrina, as I'm hearing this as a parent, I'm thinking, what can parents do to help kids who are dealing with anxiety? Yeah, I mean, I guess the first one is kind of obvious, but very hard to do, which is try not to put a ton of pressure on your kids. I mean, they're probably already feeling it, so don't add to it. Um, But if they are struggling, try not to be judgmental. I mean, I think a lot of times parents see the behaviors that come from anxiety, like procrastination or not doing their work, and they jump in and get on a kid's case without sort of stopping to think, where is this really coming from? And if you could approach it with a little bit more curiosity and sort of ask your kid what's going on, then they might be more willing to share what's what's at the root of the problem. So back off. Easier said than done. Yeah. And then if you do that work up front, you can do the hardest part, which is, you know, kids need to face their anxiety. It's trying to control them. And so sometimes the role of the parent is sort of to push back against the anxiety and ask kids to face it. You know, my kids are young, much younger than these high school kids. Is there something that I can do early on now that they're in elementary school to keep them from getting this kind of anxiety? Yeah, I mean, what psychologists say is we want to build up kids' resilience. And one way to do that is with play, of all things. I mean, kids these days are really overscheduled. They're going to all kinds of activities, and they don't really get the chance to just, like, play with their friends and not have an adult watching them all the time. And what we know is that play actually helps kids develop their independence and their ability to problem solve and sort of figure things out on their own so that then when they face these challenges later in life, they sort of have that grounding in resilience. And, you know, on this season of the MindShift podcast, we actually have an entire episode about play for that reason. It's a really important part of development. So, Katrina, what else is coming up in this next season? Well, one of my favorite episodes is actually one about an elementary school teacher who is weaving discussions of power and privilege, you know, stuff like racism into everything that he does. Kids are primed to talk about fairness. I mean, if you've ever seen kids try to get into line and like who goes in front of who and cutting in line, like you'll you'll know immediately that kids want everything to be fair. So it actually doesn't take that much for kids to enter into the conversation about racism and privilege. Katrina Schwartz, along with Kisang, produces the MindShift podcast. It helps teachers and parents by exploring the future of learning and how we raise our kids. They're just launching their new season as kids go back to school this fall. You can find MindShift wherever you get your podcasts. And that's it for the California Report magazine for this week. We're a production of KQED Public Radio in San Francisco. We'd love to hear your feedback on our show. You can send us a note at calreport at kqed.org. You can also listen to all of our shows if you subscribe to our podcast, the California Report magazine. Just look for the bear wearing earbuds. 
Tune in next week to hear about six generations of women in one huge multiracial family that found its way to the Golden State. Their stories are part of a new memoir celebrating the orange groves, tumbleweeds, and driveway barbecues of Riverside and the Inland Empire. Author Susan Strait says her professor, James Baldwin, pushed her to write about home. Who we are and what it means to grow up in a place like Riverside, what it means to be a Californian, that was just always intrinsically part of what I wanted to write about. Olivia Allen Price and Julia Scott edited this week's show. It was mixed by Rob Spate and Katie McMurrin. We had additional engineering from Seth Samuel. Our senior editor is Victoria Malleon. Our team also includes Asala Sanapur, Vinnie Tong, Ethan Lindsay, and Holly Kernan. I'm Sasha Koka. This is the California Report magazine. Your state, your stories. Support for the California Report comes from California Earthquake Authority, a not-for-profit offering earthquake insurance to help Californians protect their financial futures. For more information, go to earthquakeauthority.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose Fund for Strategic Innovation supports transformative ideas that benefit humanity while protecting the natural world, recognizing through science the interdependence of all living systems. And the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. You get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus... You'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.